Warning, the following podcast, which contains strong language and mature content, is unsuitable for children or for the faint of heart. The subject matter discussed will be frightening and graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. Along with the spooked girls Bring on the slaughter We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey there, spooksters, and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Jessica, but not like always, I am not riding with my bestie today. Tara is moving and CK is going on vacation, so... This month, or we have some episodes are coming out where it's just one of us on it. And so this is one of them. And today I'm going to be discussing with you or reading an article that was on Inside Hook, and it is called Eight People Who Almost Got Away With It, But Didn't. So we are going to be looking at criminals who lived free until they got caught. And this article came out in August of 2018. So I'm sure there's more to this list, but these are eight. The first one is going to be Tilly Klimek. Tilly Klimek was a serial killer in Chicago who would tell her victims that she would have these precognitive dreams accurately depicting the dates of death of her victims. But in reality, she was just scheduling their deaths. She killed several husbands, an ex-boyfriend, neighbor, and even a dog with arsenic poisoning. It was only after her fourth husband became ill that people started to suspect something was up. Authorities exhumed the bodies of her late husbands and found that they all contained lethal doses of arsenic. She died in prison on November 20th, 1936. Our next one is going to be Adrian Prout. Adrian Prout, a millionaire, almost got away with murdering his wife. Adrian killed his wife, Kate, during an argument about their impending divorce, but police couldn't locate her body anywhere on their 276-acre farm. But then his new girlfriend convinced Adrian to take a lie detector test to prove his innocence, and he failed. He confessed to the murder, and soon after, he showed the authorities where his wife's body was buried almost four years after he killed her. That's crazy. Don't bury people on your own property. Our next person is going to be John List. John List almost got away with killing his entire family. On November 9th, 1971, he murdered his wife, mother, and three children in their home in New Jersey. He then disappeared and eluded justice for nearly 18 years. He even assumed a new identity and remarried. List had planned the murders so that nearly a month passed before anyone suspected something was wrong. A nationwide manhunt was launched, but then, nearly two decades later, the murders were recounted on Fox's America's Got or America's Most Wanted. And List was located and arrested in Virginia less than two weeks after the episode aired. He died at the age of 82 while in prison custody. Our next one is going to be Janine Jones. 
Janine was a pediatric nurse in the 1980s who injected the children and babies in her ward with drugs such as heparin. This made her patients experience some sort of medical crisis. Jones would swoop in and save the day. Her patients' parents would be overjoyed, and Jones was the hero. But this plan didn't always work perfectly, and sometimes the patients died. She worked at the Braxter County Hospital, and at first, the large number of deaths attached to her name didn't raise suspicion. She was just asked to leave because of the lack of qualifications. Wait, okay, I have so many questions. Why? What were her lack of qualifications that all of a sudden made her not to be a nurse? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. When you're at your best, you can do great things. But sometimes life bogs you down and you feel overwhelmed or like you're not showing up in the way that you want to. Working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of you. Because when you feel empowered, you're more prepared to take on everything life throws at you. I know that sometimes when we are dealing with trauma or we are dealing with parts of our life that we want to grow in, seeking out therapy is a great thing. I've done it. And I can tell you that when I'm hyper-focused and have a therapist to help me, I can be the best version of myself. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, and affordable, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash spookgirls to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash spookedgirls. But then a pediatrician's clinic in Texas became worried after six children died on her watch. A clinic? Not a hospital. A clinic? That's like where you go to the doctors. I'm very, very confused. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) I will move on. Among the evidence that led to Jones's conviction were injection puncture marks found in a bottle of sectional choline that only she and the head doctor had access to. Okay, that's really an easy way to get caught. Okay, Klaus Faber was a Dutch native and a Nazi collaborator. He was convicted of killing Jews and resistance fighter in his homeland during World War II, but his story is a little different. Because even though he didn't fully get away with his crimes, he escaped to Germany and lived there, a free man, until he died at the age of 90. Germany refused to extradite him on the grounds that he had German citizenship under an edict issued by Hitler in 1943, conveying it on foreigners who had aided Nazi war causes, according to the New York Times. Faber and his brother, Peter Johann, joined the German SS death squads that operated in the Netherlands when the Nazis occupied the country. They were convicted in taking part in the killings at three different Dutch locations. Both brothers were sentenced to death. Peter was executed by a firing squad, but Klaus got his punishment commuted to a life sentence because there was not enough proof he personally had been involved in the killings. In 1952, Faber broke out of prison and made his way to Germany. Wait. The fuck? So, like, he was in prison. Mm. Mm. Fuck, that's bad. Anyway, the next one we're going to be talking about is Benny Wint. Benny Wint faked his own drowning in 1989 to avoid an assumed jail sentence. He was on vacation with his fiance and daughter in Florida when he went for a swim and never came back. But then, 20 years later, he was stopped for a traffic violation. 
He gave a fake name and was arrested on suspicions of driving without a license and giving false information. He eventually opened up and explained that he had been on the run for two decades. Wendt explained that he had been paranoid about his narcotics-related activities at the time of his disappearance. Well, I guess if you're going to be, like, paranoid, like we've said before, if you're committing a crime, don't commit another crime. So I guess after two decades, you'd kind of be like, well, you know, no one's really following me. I guess I can, you know, get a traffic violation. Jeez. The next person on the list is Donnie Rudd. Okay. Just a month after 31-year-old Donnie Rudd got married to 19-year-old Nora Rudd, the teenager was found dead on a country road. She left behind $120,000 in life insurance benefits to her husband, who wasted no time in moving in with a different woman. Oh, Donnie, bad luck. But Donnie was not charged until he was 76. His wife's death was initially ruled an accident in 1973. But then in 2013, it was classified as a homicide after an autopsy. Rudd was charged with first-degree murder in 2015. Jeez. That's like crazy to me. Like just to think that much of a time disparity, that's so, that's so much. That's so fucking much. Okay. Our next person in this article is Troy Gapak. Gapbach had practiced yoga for 23 years, so when he was arrested on suspicion of burglary, he waited until the prison guards were asleep before slathering himself with oil and slipping through a minuscule food slot at the bottom of the cell. Gapbach had been in prison for five days before he attempted his escape. It took him just 24 seconds to slip through the gap, which was just 5.9 inches tall and 17.7 inches wide. He put blankets and pillows in the bed to make it look like he was in there sleeping. Unfortunately for him, he was found six days later and put back in prison. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, since that wasn't very long, I'm going to do a second article, and it's called 10 Serial Killers Who've Never Been Caught. Let's get to it. The first one is called The Babysitter Killer. The Oakland County Child Killer, also known as The Babysitter Killer, is an unidentified serial killer who murdered at least four children in Oakland County, Michigan, between 1976 and 1977. The killer's macabre aliases come from the fact that he bathed each child before committing the crimes, which led FBI profilers to posit that the killer had in some form a twisted parental instinct. The killer's choice to target children gripped parents throughout Michigan and spawned dozens of neighborhood watch initiatives. Despite a few promising leads, including the discovery of a vehicle suspected of belonging to the killer, the case remains open and unsolved. The most recent development was in 2012, when investigators managed to create a DNA profile of the killer. It did not match anyone arrested in conjunction with the case, or anybody in the police system for that matter. But perhaps the most disturbing part, aside from the fact that the killer is still at large, is that the extent of his abductions, all four children were held from somewhere between four and 19 days before being bathed and killed. Mm. Number nine on this list is the Highway of Tears killer. Oh, it's a Canada one. While modern day serial killers may be thought of primarily as a U.S. phenomenon, Jock the Ripper notwithstanding, Canada has the, their fair share of heinous murders, including more than a few that remain unsolved. Perhaps the most infamous are the Highway of Tears murders in British Columbia. 
The highway is a 450-mile stretch of Highway 16 between Prince George and Prince Rupert and has the unfortunate designation of being the site of at least 18 and as many as 40 murders and disappearances between 1969 and 2011 of mostly Indigenous women. Since the murder spanned 50 years, investigators believe multiple killers were patrolling the highway. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police found enough evidence to prosecute one of the murderers, leaving the other 17 cases in the purview unsolved. Unfortunately, investigators have concluded that the perpetrator's whereabouts over the decades in question means he could only be responsible for two of the other killings at most, so it's likely that the other killer or killers remain at large. Bible John Spurring Scotland's most extensive manhunt, the answer to who exactly is Bible John has shifted over the years, but the serial killer's identity has remained a mystery in the 50-something years since the murders of Patricia Docker in 1968, Jemima MacDonald, and Helen Patak in 1969. All were in their late 20s to early 30s. All three victims were beaten and raped before the murders after meeting the killer at some popular nightclub. The few details known in the case is that Helen's sister, Jean, who shared a taxi with her and the supposed killer on the night of Helen's murder. Jean's information helped investigators form a psychological profile of the killer, who supposedly made frequent references to the Bible, hence the nickname. Unfortunately, Jean died in 2010, and she was the only witness associated with this case. The chance of finding the true identity of Bible John is next to nothing. The next one, number seven, is the Alphabet Killer. The Alphabet murders occurred in the early 1970s in Rochester, New York. The killer's alias came from his choice of victims. He only chose victims, all who were young girls, with the first and last name beginning with the same letter. The Alphabet Killer's three victims were raped and strangled, and while there were several witnesses, including several motorists who saw 10-year-old Carmen Collin half-naked on the side of the road attempting to escape her killer, the police have never managed to close the case. However, police did have several persons of interest in the case, one of whom was connected as recently as 2011. However, none of the four men considered by authorities could be linked to the crimes, though one was sentenced to death for the murder of a sex worker in Nevada. Interesting, all of his victims were also named similarly. The West Mesa Bone Collector. We talked about this on the podcast a couple years ago. I believe it may have even been a double episode. I can't remember. But let's talk about it. The West Mesa Bone Collector. With a nickname that seems to be made as much for a movie poster as a police investigation, the so-called West Mesa Bone Collector may be currently active in the town of Albuquerque, New Mexico, or anywhere else for that matter. The mysterious killer hit the spotlight in 2009 where police found 11 bodies buried in an area of Albuquerque called West Mesa. Following a tip that a woman had noticed a human femur bone partially uncovered in a former construction site, the police excavated the area and discovered the bodies of women who had been reported missing in 2003 and in 2005. However, there are at least 13 other missing women who may potentially have been victims of the West Mesa Bone Collector, reported missing as recently as 2006. The police considered several suspects, but lack enough evidence to make a long case against anyone. Recent theories have suggested that the West Mesa Bone Collector may have actually been multiple people running a sex trafficking ring, possibly because many of the victims were involved in sex work. 
As recently as 2021, police confirmed that the case is still active, though despite police receiving roughly 20 to 30 tips per year, no evidence has moved the case along. The reward for useful information is currently $100,000. So if you're in the Albuquerque area and you know something, go get you some monies. The Servant Girl Annihilator. One of America's first known serial killers, the Servant Girl Annihilator, as he was called at the time, killed seven women and one man in Houston, Texas between December of 1884 and December of 1885. All victims were domestic staff, either killed while sleeping or dragged out of their beds and killed outside of their homes. In just one night on December 24th, 1885, the killer murdered three victims with an axe, a signature that earned him his more politically correct nickname, the Austin Axe Murderer. Because the case was nearly 125 years ago, police records were spotty. Though a New York Times article from December 26, 1885, wrote that more than 400 people had been arrested in conjunction with the case. Modern researchers have suggested that the Austin Axe murder may have been none other than Jack the Ripper himself, who sent Londoners into a panic just three years after. I mean, that kind of makes sense. But realistically, the true servant girl annihilator was most likely Nathan Elgin, who only had four toes on one foot, matching footprints found at most of the murder scenes. Elgin was killed by police officer John Bracken in 1886. Bracken shot him after responding to help a girl who was being dragged from a saloon by a drunk man who was beating her. The girl's name was Julia. Unfortunately, given how long ago the crimes occurred, he most certainly no longer is operating. Well, I would hope so, because that would be bad. The next one is the Long Island Killer. The aptly named Long Island Killer is known as an unknown. I think we've done this case, too. The aptly named Long Island Killer is an unknown murderer who has been killing in New York from 1996 to possibly the present. Somewhere between 10 and 17 murders have been attributed to the Long Island Killer. And since he may or may not still be operating, he's one of the most recent serial killers in America to remain at large. Authorities know very little about the suspect, speculating that he is likely a white man in his mid-20s to 40s, with extensive knowledge of law enforcement operations and techniques, which explains how he successfully avoided capture. Though the Long Island killer has killed at least a dozen people, the police are unaware that many of his prior disappearances and murders were linked until 2010's disappearance of Shannon Gilbert. While searching the area where she likely disappeared, the police came across not just her body, but also 10 more victims buried under the sand in Long Island's Gilgo Beach. Police questioned several suspects, including former Suffolk County Police Chief James Burke, but no one was ever tried and the case remains unsolved. There is currently a $50,000 reward for any information that leads to an arrest. If you know who it is, tell. Okay, number three, it's called the Black Doodler. The Doodler could perhaps have been a more flattering nickname like the artist or the sketcher had he been kinder to the male models who posed for him. But instead, he sexually assaulted and stabbed them, ultimately killing somewhere between 6 and 14 victims in San Francisco. From January of 1974 to September of 1975, several men disappeared from the city's gay community, and several more were injured or victims of the murderers of Temple. Then how do they not fucking know who this dude is? Very confused. Several more? Okay, let's read on to find. Though San Francisco has been quite liberal, Members of the LBGTQ plus community 
were generally not accepted in, in the San Francisco mainstream community in the 1970s, leading many of the killer's surviving victims to decline, oh, okay, this makes sense, to cooperate with police out of fear of being outed. As a result, there is very little information for authorities to go on, and the case remains unsolved. However, unlike many cases on this list, police may be close to solving the decades-old mystery. More victims have been willing to come forward in the last few years, and thanks to DNA and fingerprint evidence, authorities should have narrowed down a person of interest who still resides in San Francisco. There is currently a $200,000 reward for anyone that helps them find the final pieces of evidence to prosecute this case. If you know anything about this, definitely tell. Okay, the second one is the second one, so one more after this one, is the Zodiac Killer. Thanks largely to the 2007 Jake Gyllenhaal and Robert Downey Jr. blockbuster Zodiac, the Zodiac Killer is perhaps the most infamous unsolved serial killer case in the United States. Much like Jack the Ripper did in London nearly a century prior, the Zodiac taunted police by sending investigators and the San Francisco Bay Press cryptic messages and clues over a one-year period during the late 1960s. In the true game of Cat and Mouse, the killer made himself known to the city's residents by leaving clues at the murder scenes, starting to shoot school buses full of children, mailing pieces of victims' clothing to the San Francisco Chronicle newspaper, and threatening the public if the newspaper didn't publish his cryptic letters that became his hallmark. As of 2022, only two of the killer's four ciphers, which he demanded be published in papers, at least he claimed more victims, have been definitively solved. Police first opened the case in 1969 after the double murder of two high schoolers parked at Lover's Lane. Five murders have been definitely linked to the case, though Zodiac, who gave himself the nickname, claimed he's killed more than 37 people total. There have been numerous suspects over the years, but the case is still very much open. In 2021, a group of private crime-solving enthusiasts claimed that they identified the Zodiac, Gary Francis Post. Post died in prison in 2018, but not before being interviewed by the police, who declined to comment on the self-described elite team's claim that they've wrapped up the case. Okay, and now we are on the last one. It is probably the most infamous one and has been mentioned numerous times today, and that is going to be Jack the Ripper. It's hard to say why Jack the Ripper is arguably the world's most famous serial killer. It could be because he committed his crime so long ago in 1888, therefore so far removed from current times that no one connected the crime is still alive. It also could be because of the brutality of his killings that earned him his hair-raising nickname or just simply because he was never caught despite operating in a society that prided itself on law and social order. Jack the Ripper has often credited with jumpstarting the modern serial killer fixation. He murdered at least five women on London's east side. And no, they were not all sex workers. The murders kept London on edge, especially as police questioned men in professions ranging from butchers to surgeons to barbers, but failed to produce a credible suspect. During the Jack the Ripper time frame, police and authorities received hundreds of letters signed by Jack the Ripper. While most were frauds, at least four letters were likely from the Ripper himself, including the infamous from Hell Letter that inspired fiction ranging from comic books to Hollywood movies. Given that most of the police records on this case were destroyed in a World War II bombing, it's likely that the case will remain unsolved, but that doesn't stop amateur sleuths from pointing fingers in all directions, ranging from the author Lewis Carroll 
to not one but two men linked to Queen Victoria, her surgeon John Williams and her grandson and heir presumptive to the throne, Prince Albert Victor. So that is going to go ahead and wrap up today's episode. I hope you enjoyed those two articles and we will see you back here next time. Bye, guys. <laughs>